Um, hey, it's, uh, I was thinking about while I was sitting over there how good it is to start seeing people that we haven't seen in a while. Um, it's glad, I'm glad to be with our, our body here, and it's good to see uh, faces again. Um, and if you're uh, at home, uh, we want to welcome you this morning as well, and we look forward to the opportunity to get to hang out with you again. Um, if you are here this morning, or if you're at home, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Ephesians uh, chapter 2. I hope you brought your Bibles with you. If you're new uh, around here and you wonder, is this a place where I should be bringing my Bible? The answer is yes. (laughs) The answer is yes, uh, because we get into it. Uh, We we dig deeply into God's Word, and we're going to do that again uh, this morning. And so uh, I'm going to pray and ask God's blessing on our time. Give this time to you. I want to invite you into this space to just do whatever it is that you want to do. Um, We've sung about you, we've talked about you, we've gathered together in community, and we've already seen you at work this morning, and we want to worship you now uh, in in the hearing and the the teaching of your word. And so, Father, would you bless this time, speak through me in a mighty way. Um, Would you just focus us in on the grace that you've given to us, focus us in on the grace that we've received, and uh, the grace that continues to keep us close and walking with you, and just in a great, fantastic relationship. I pray in Jesus' name now. Amen. We started a, a series uh, last week uh, called Reset, um, and we called it a, a Whole New Way of Thinking. And so uh, what we're doing in our series is that we're looking at the four core values that we have here um, at Riverview, the, the family values is what we call them, and those four core values, they help us stay focused on what we believe matters around here. So at Riverview, um, we, we focus or we have a, a mission uh, of that, that helps us drive everything that we do. And our mission is that we want to help people find Jesus and we want to help them experience true life uh, in him as well. That's our mission. Our four core values, we say, help us stay focused on what that mission is. And so last week, we kicked off the series by focusing in on our core value of God's truth over our opinion. And uh, I don't know about you, but I had a good time uh, being able to talk with you in that. And so this week, what we're going to do is we're going to go into our second core family value, which is God's grace over our striving. And so all morning, what we're talking about, if you just want to kind of get your mind around it, is we're talking about God's grace, God's good grace. Now, we know that there are songs about it. Uh, we know the song Amazing Grace. We just, saw, we just uh, sang a few songs of, that are focusing in on His grace. We talk about His grace. But at Riverview, we believe that His grace is the foundation and the basis to have an actual real relationship with Him. Jesus did a great work that we could never do in and of ourselves. And by that, He has given us mercy and He's given us grace that we can interact with Him in a way that is not born out of the law, but is born out of relationship. And so we're able to enter into this relationship with him and experience God because of the grace that he gives us. We're able to find ourselves in joy and out of despair because of the grace that he uh, gives to us. And so we've said, uh, go ahead and throw the next slide up there, because Jesus has given us an immeasurable amount of grace, we choose to be people who daily live in his grace for ourselves and live out of his grace with others. And so what that means is in this vertical relationship with him, we're not going to strive to earn something that he's already given us. We are going to live in this vertical relationship with him out of a place of grace and in this horizontal relationship with one another in our relationships, in our friendships, in our work relationships, that same grace that we receive from him, we're going to be people of grace who give that grace to others as well. So that, or because, God has done an incredible work of placing his spirit inside of us and completely changing our identity. And so as a result, 
we're going to live in his grace rather than striving to earn it. And that last sentence is what I want to spend our time focusing on this morning. We live in his grace rather than striving uh, to earn it. Now, here's, here's the reality, right? We all make mistakes, all of us. There's, there's not a person in here in this room that doesn't make a mistake. And so that shouldn't be a shock to you, right? So if you came in this morning and you thought like, oh, I never mess up. Well, talk to somebody who's sitting around you because they'll let you know, they'll bring you back down to reality. We all make mistakes. We do things that we wish that we wouldn't do. Dumb things that we wish we wouldn't do. Things that we're not proud of. And those mistakes, whether they be big mistakes or small mistakes, they come with all kinds of various consequences that come along with them. And those consequences, they can make you feel unclean, they can make you feel dirty, guilty, they can bring all kinds of shame in your life, and maybe they can even make you feel like you're not even a Christian, right? Like you haven't even uh, been able to be adopted into the, the family of God. And what I've found in my own life, and uh, the time that I've spent talking with other people, and just sitting down in my office, just sitting down in one-on-one -on -one conversations, is that no matter how big or how small those mistakes are, we have a tendency to pick up all those mistakes like a, like a bunch of rocks and start throwing them into these uh, imaginary bags. I, I've got a real bag up here, um, but this is just to you know, be an example. That we, we take all these mistakes that we have and we begin to pick them up along our way and we begin to throw them in this imaginary bag thinking that we have to carry this around through life. And the more mistakes that we make as we go along in life, we just keep throwing more mistakes on top of those old mistakes and you think I got to carry those around. And before too long, that bag just gets so heavy that it's so unbearable. Like we're walking around with this huge bag of mistakes, right? Like you, you know how it works. Like you felt this in your own life. I got some rocks up here. So you walk around and, and you say something stupid to somebody, right? You're like, man, I, I was just cranky with that person. I was cranky with my wife. I was cranky with my husband. I was cranky with my kids. I just said something that I shouldn't have said. And, 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 and before too long, you know, we start to feel guilty about that. And so we throw that into our bag and we don't feel it maybe so much because it's just one, it's just one rock. The bag's not too heavy. But we continue. We journey around in life. Uh, and, and we maybe we're not really great at relationships, right? We break a few relationships along the way. We, we, we treat a spouse the way that we shouldn't treat, or we treat a, a co-worker the way that we shouldn't treat them. And, and, and so because we're not good re with relationships, we just have the string of relationships that are broken along the way. And, and so we feel guilty about that, and maybe we've done some sin in, in, in the midst of that, and we make some mistakes. And so we throw that into our bag as well. And so the bag is beginning to get a little bit heavier, but it's still not that big of a deal. You know, we can still keep walking around. And so then we find ourselves still walking around in our journey and Maybe you stay up a little bit late at night and you start pushing some buttons that you shouldn't have pushed and you find yourself down the pornography train and you start feeling guilt and shame out of that and you end yourself up in a chat room that you should have never been in and start engaging in a relationship that you never should have been in and, and obviously you feel the weight and the guilt of that and so you throw that into your bag and just another mistake and now the bag's starting to get a little bit heavier. Starting to walk through life, you're like, man, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I can keep doing this sort of thing but you keep trying and so like you keep going and you know, again, you're maybe not treating your kids the, the way that you should have treated them and maybe uh, because your dad stepped out or your mom stepped out and you grew up in a bad relationship, you begin to just kind of transfer that onto them and that relationship just isn't good. And so you, maybe you've checked out of your kid's life, your son's life, your daughter's life and there's guilt and shame, there's remorse, there's regret that comes along with that and so you start to feel the weight of that and, but you keep going on, you're a business person and you wanted to get into business to make good deals and make some money and to be a blessing to others, but maybe you've made some ethical decisions and moral decisions that just weren't in line with who you say you are, and so you start to feel the weight of that. And every single one of these 
mistakes or sins that come along in our life. It's not just the beginning uh, that, that marks this thing. There's a lot of guilt and a lot of shame that we carry along with us. And that's the big deal, right? That's the big old rock. And so we put that shame and that guilt that comes along in there. And now the bag really is just a little bit too heavy uh, to bear. But the reality is we try, right? We, we put it on and we walk around. And I think we feel like we wish that we could take it off. <clears throat> we feel the weight of it. We have this bag of mistakes that we carry around with us. And we know that, I think we know that it's there and, and we want to get rid of it, but we continue to carry it around. And my question is, why do we do that? Why do we continue to carry this bag of mistakes or, or, around with us? Why, why do we keep putting it on? Last week, we, we engaged in a, a couple of, of conver- real conversations from here where it wasn't just me talking with you. So I'm going to throw that out to you. Why, 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 why do we continue to wear this bag of mistakes and this bag of guilt and shame? Anybody have any ideas? I've got a couple. Just waiting to see what mine are. It's our like you feel like we deserve it. Yeah. Oh, if, hey, who put the cheat sheet up? <laughs> hey, yeah, come on, man. So since you've already seen the cheat sheet, I'm going to go ahead and go into it, all right? Here's one of the reasons, like, I think that we still carry this bag of guilt and shame around with us. Just like, just like you said, that we feel like we deserve it, Right? We did the crime, and so we feel like we need to do the time, and the time that we feel like we need to do is that we need to beat ourselves up over about it. And when we feel like we beat ourselves up about it enough, maybe we can start to take off the bag. I think there's another reason, right? The second one there. I think sometimes people just won't let us forget that we've made that mistake. Like we've got to the point where we, we feel like we've experienced the forgiveness that we have in Jesus, and he's taken that away from us. And maybe we even get to the point where we feel like we can forgive ourselves. And once we've forgiven ourselves, then we, we hope that that would just kind of land with everybody else. But there is just somebody who won't just, that just won't let us forget it. And every time we try to put down the bag or every time we try to take a few, a few rocks out of the bag and lay them down, there's somebody who comes along and says, no, I don't think you can take that out. I don't think you've suffered quite long enough yet. You let me tell you when it's okay that you can take that stuff off of your bag. You're like, bro, like, get back. Right? Like this bag's getting heavy enough. I'm trying to unload things. Don't keep putting stuff in. But yet we allow those people to keep putting things in our bag. And then I think, there, of course, there's, there's Satan, who's the great enemy and accuser of our, of our souls, right? The deceiver, who would love to keep us wrapped up into this carrying around shame and guilt too, because he lives to be the accuser of the brother. That's what scripture tells us. He is the accuser. He is constantly reminding us of our past, whispering into our ear, you're never going to be good enough. Somebody's always going to know what you've done. You're never going to be able to live past this. Nobody's ever going to forgive you. And so we feel like we can never take off the bag. And I, I think we cope with it with a couple different ways, right? I think, I think we act like the bag is not even there. Um, or if we're willing to acknowledge that the bag is there, we act like it's not really that big of a deal. But here's the thing that I think we really do. I think we try to just simply be better than our past. Right? Just, if we could just be better. You know, we, we made some mistakes, and, and, and then if I could just not make those same mistakes, and I could do better, and just keep doing better things, and more things, and better things, then, then maybe if I can just try to be good enough, long enough, then God will love me enough, and he'll smile at me again. And so we just try to be better. Now, I wonder if there's anybody in this room, or anybody who's watching at home right now, that if you've just kind of been living this life, man, I just, I'm just trying to be good. I'm just trying to be good. I'm just trying to live another day where I don't make another mistake. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be good enough where, where God might like me again. And we live with the swivel chair theology about God, that if he is sitting in front of us 
and he's smiling at us, he's approved in us, that I got to keep him in that space, that, that something that I do could actually turn his face against me. And so if I make a mistake that comes out of my bag, right, that he'll just turn his face, and then he's standing there or sitting there in his chair just looking at us like, okay, if you want me to, you want to be approved of me, if you want me to like you again, you got to do this dance. Monkey dance for me, make me smile, make me laugh, make me turn back around in my chair so that I can be, I can be happy with you again. And so we dance and we do a lot of good things and we do the things that we're supposed to do and, and then we think that he turns back around in his chair and he smiles at us. How exhausting is that? To think that we got to keep turning God's face at us, but we try. We, we, we try to make up for every wrong thing that we've done, but alas, the, the bag's still there and the bag's still heavy and it's getting heavier. I mean, obviously, this is an illustration, but wouldn't it be nice if you could just take off the bag? Wouldn't it be nice if you could just kind of throw it to the side? Lay it down, feel the relief that comes from taking off the bag? Wouldn't it be nice? And guys, here's where grace destroys our striving to be better. Here's where grace enters into the picture. Grace brings us out from underneath the weight of that sin. Brings us out from underneath the weight of those mistakes, those things that we feel like are crushing us and just getting heavier and heavier and heavier and that are keeping us from really being able to experience the joy of God, the joy of a real relationship with him. Grace tells us that we are forgiven. Grace tells us that we're accepted. Grace tells us that we are fully redeemed. Grace tells us that we have a place at the table with the Father, right? We are completely and wholly redeemed. Grace tells us that we don't have to bear the weight of our sin and mistakes any longer. Grace tells us that we don't have to strive to earn what God's already given us. If you're in Christ, he's already approved of you. If you're in Christ, he's already smiling at you. And for us to continue to live, to try to make him smile at us, is just living in a sense of futility. He's already doing that. And so grace tells us that we are free. We are free to live in the freedom that we already have. Grace tells us that we're free to enjoy the freedom. Grace tells us that we are free to enjoy a real relationship with him. Grace tells us that we don't have to live under the weight of that anymore. But how can I say that? Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 allows us to say that. So if you've got your Bibles there, Ephesians chapter 2. And Ephesians, the, the Apostle Paul, he's talking to the church in Ephesus, right? And this is a group of, of primarily uh, made up of Christians. But Christians who are coming with all kinds of different baggage. They're coming with all kinds of different backpacks they're bringing to the table. Some from Jewish roots, some from their pagan roots. And so <clears throat> the Jews, they come to the table... And they've got this whole bag full of good works. They thought, if, if I can just be good enough for long enough, then maybe God might like me. And if, and if, and if he's going to keep liking me, I have to act right, I have to talk right, I have to study right, I have to eat right. And if I somehow mess that up and I, if I make some mistakes, then I have to find a way to fix this. I have, not, not that I just have to confess and, and live in, a, in, in this background hum of living in good relationship with Jesus and, re, and with confession and, and having a, a solid walk with him. But no, I have to figure out how to fix what I've broken that Jesus has already paid for. I've got I to figure out how to bring this thing back around. All these things that they had to do, it was to focus on them. How do I earn his love? And not only how do I earn his love, but how do I keep his love? How do I keep his approval? And it was exhausting. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure to live under. And so the pagans, that, or, or the Gentiles as they were called, those who were the non-Jews of the group that they're in Ephesus, they came to the table too, looking for a relationship with God. And they, and they brought a whole bag of, of other things along with them. The Jews brought, brought their works. The pagans, those who were non-Jewish, 
They brought this bag of gods with them. They were worshiping other gods, and they engaged in this lawless hedonism as they worshiped these, these other gods. And for them to think that I could easily take this backpack off of my back and just throw it down, that was just nonsense for them. They, they had no category for that because they didn't know about God. They didn't know about God Almighty. They didn't know how he worked. They didn't know about that he was a gracious God. They just saw what he had been doing to the other nations, right? And so the only thing they knew about God was when Paul said, hey, he shows up and said, hey, let me tell you about a guy who changed my life. I think that's how some of us come to Christ, right? Is, I mean, we didn't grow up in church. We, we didn't grow up uh, around this is the right thing to do and this is the wrong thing to do. We didn't grow up in maybe in, in the right crowds. And somebody showed up in the middle of your depravity or in the middle of your debauchery and said, hey, let me tell you about a man who changed my life. And you said, hey, tell me about that man. And as they tell you about Jesus, you gave your life to him, and you've been trying to figure out how do I walk with him in faithful obedience throughout the rest of my life. This is what Paul's getting at in, in chapter 2. This is what he writes to this group. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. He's talking about these believers before they found life in Christ here. He says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. He says, you were, you were following Satan. So you were loyal and obedient to the prince of the air, the prince that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is just a bunch of words that Paul is using to say, hey, this is who you were, right? This is who you were. I want you to underline the word were there. If you have a highlighter or something, do what you need to do to help that, that word pop off the page for you. In verse 2, it says, you, this is who you were. You used to be dead. Now, I'm not the best in grammar, right? I grew up in, in southern Ohio. Our education is what it was, and, and I don't consider myself to be a, a fantastic grammar guy, but I know that this word is past tense, okay? This is, this is a past tense verb here. Now, try, try, try to imagine the worst-case scenario that you can. Worst-case scenario. And then multiply that by like a million here. And this is what Paul is going for. He said, you weren't just sick and on your way to somehow recovery, like you, you were in the, in the waiting room to, to get recovery. He says, no, you were dead. You were dying in sin. You were dying in separation. You were dying in your efforts and trying to be good enough. You were dying in guilt. You were dying in shame. You were dying with this backpack of mistake and sin on your back, and you were going down. Whatever the poor life choices they were, that you're like, this is who you were. And my guess is Paul probably didn't even have to remind these guys of this, right? I mean, because you feel it, right? If you're packing around all that shame and all that guilt, like you feel it, you know that it's there. Like you don't go a day without noticing what's going on back there. Like you know it. You can feel it. You can feel the guilt. You can feel the shame. You can feel the remorse. You can feel the, the daily wondering, am I doing enough good today to outweigh the bad that I've done in the past? Am I doing enough? Like, you know it's there. You just don't know what to do with it. And so sometimes what we do with it is we just try to be good enough for long enough, hoping that God might like us enough to maybe forgive us one more time, right? God, we won't do it again. I promise I won't do it again, hoping that he'll, he'll believe us. But I want you to understand the irony of this. What Paul's saying is that dead people can't please God. Dead people have no ability to please God. No matter how much you try, you, you, you can't do it. And that's what Paul's saying here. You weren't just sick and somehow getting better. You were dead and completely unable to please God. This is who you were. Yikes. Paul is painting a pretty dark backdrop, isn't he? 
He's letting them know the condition of their soul when the Lord found them. But then you have this dramatic shift in, in verse 4. One of my favorite words in all of Scripture is the first word of verse 4. What does your Bible say there in, 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 chapter, or in verse 4? What's the first word? But. Yeah, but. This is a little word that shows up strategically when God's about to turn things upside down or flip the script, as the young kids say these days, right? right? He's getting ready to flip this thing upside down. The biblical authors use this word very strategically to show when a change is about to happen from who you used to be and when Jesus shows up, who now you used to be and now who you've now become. You ever think about your life like that? This is who I used to be, but then Jesus, but Jesus. And then, now this is who I am. This is who I used to be, but this is who I am now. This is who I am now. It's the same thing that a jeweler does when he's trying to, to sell diamonds, right? They don't just take the diamonds out and throw them out on the, on the, on the, on the glass, because that would just be, be futile. When I was uh, picking Ashley's engagement ring, I, I, had not, I had no idea uh, about any kind of diamonds or anything like that. And so I, I began to study. And then, like, what's the right cut? Like, what does she like? You know, are there's, what are there's like emerald and round and square, like princess cut? And what, what, what are the rest of those guys? I mean, I guess it probably doesn't matter. Anyway, so I, I, I tried to learn, like, the, the cut of the diamond, the clarity, right? Like, how clear is this thing? Like, get the impurities out of there. I, I, I tried to learn the carat weight, like, what's, the, what's, what's enough? Like, what's too small and what's too big? All that kind of stuff. Because I, I wanted to find the best diamond for the, the small amount of money that I had at the time, right? And so I went from jeweler to jeweler, trying to find that right diamond. And none of the jewelers ever took this bag of diamonds out and just threw them out on the glass. No, they, they took a, a piece of velvet, whether it be stretched out on the, on the square or, or rolled out a piece of velvet, and they laid that on top of the glass. And then they put the diamonds on top of that black velvet. And, and when those diamonds are on the velvet, they just pop with color, don't they? They just shine, and they glitter way more than they do when they're just sitting out on the glass. And against that black velvet, they just look so beautiful. That's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, you were dead. It's the, the black velvet. It's the sin. It's the backpack they've, they've been walking around with. It's the depravity that, he's, that God has pulled them out of. But something has changed. God's grace has shown up magnificently against this black, dark backdrop of sin, and he has set you free. I know this, the struggle is real when it comes to the guilt and shame and the things that we carry around and things that we wish that we didn't do and the consequences that we walk around with and our day in and day out life and those things that maybe feel like death. And so as I read these next words, I want you to feel Jesus maybe reaching down into the backpack, your backpack, the, the, the thing that you know that you carry around with you. And I want you to feel him reaching down in and taking those rocks out one by one. The shame, gone. The guilt, gone. The feelings of misplaced opportunities, gone. The weight of the past, gone. The abortion, gone. The infidelity, gone. The recklessness, gone. The wretchedness, gone. The bag of sins, gone. I want you to feel Jesus reaching down and taking that off of you because that's exactly what his mercy and his grace has done. Look at verse 4. But God... Being rich in mercy, and mercy here means that he didn't give us what we actually deserve, okay? He didn't give us what we deserve. 
but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he's loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. Go ahead and, and highlight or circle or underline, do whatever you have to do to make that word come off the page for you so that you are reminded that this is by God's grace, isn't by anything that we will ever do or ever have done, okay? By grace, you have been saved. By grace, you've been saved. Isn't this the same thing that Paul was getting at in Romans chapter 5? Verse 8, when he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's the same thing. He keeps highlighting what God has done through his son Jesus, what God has done through his son Jesus, what God has done through his not what we have done. It's because of what we had done that Jesus came and did the work that he did. And so he highlights this. This is grace, but it's so hard for us to get our minds around grace because there's not a scenario where we normally see grace being lived out. It's not common in our society, right? In most of our circumstances, you get what you deserve (laughs) or you you get what you've earned, right? If you make a mistake, you pay for the mistake. You're punished for it, rightly so. Like my kids make, make mistakes and we have to have conversations. They rather get a spank than have a conversation any day, I think. It's like, Dad, you just talk way too much. And, 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 and so, but there are consequences that come with your sin, okay? You're just going to have to sit here and listen to me talk. But there, it's rightly so that there are consequences that come with the mistakes that we make. We just hope to minimize some of those consequences. But if we have anything good in our life, too, it's typically because we've worked and worked and worked to climb our way out or climb our, our way to it. Like nobody, like we live with a mentality, nobody gives us anything. We earn it, right? We work for what we have. Like we pride ourselves uh, about being able to earn the things that we have. Nobody, like we pull ourselves up our bootstraps and we do that thing. Nobody gives me anything. There's not many situations in life where the guilty get away with no punishment at all. And there's not many situations in life where you are lavished with gifts when you haven't earned them, when you don't deserve them. There are rare occasions when that happens, but that's not the norm. The norm of our experience is that we feel the weight of our mistakes. We beat ourselves up because of our mistakes or somebody else beats us up because of our, of our mistakes. We work for what we have. That's the norm. We earn what we get. But grace turns that upside down on its head. Grace changes the norm. Grace gives us what we don't really deserve. My mentor, Pete, go ahead and throw this next slide up. He, he would say, Grace says that there is nothing that you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. God loves you perfectly right now because his love is not predicated on your performance, but on his character. He is love and he can't help but love you. And for some of you, it's been really hard to understand that God could ever be gracious to you or that God could ever love you because of whatever the past is for you. And so when you hear that you could have grace and that God still loves you and you don't have to do the dance, Maybe you, for the first time, you feel some rocks coming out of your bag. Maybe for the first time, you maybe even feel the bag coming off of your back. Verse 4, again, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I want you to notice the tense of the verbs here again. Past. He made us alive. He raised us us up. He seated us with him in the heavenly places. This is work that he has done in the past that is counter to the work that we continue to do day in and day out. What Paul's saying is that when you gave your life to Jesus, something dramatically changes in us. God has done something magnificent through Jesus that we could never do. 
And what that did was it changed God's opinion of you through his son, Jesus. I believe one of the the greatest thoughts that we'll ever have is what does God think about me? What does God think about me? Because how you feel in the next lines after that is going to determine the work that you feel that you have to do or the relief from the work that you feel like you have to do. And it's going to either keep you in chains or it's going to open you up to a real relationship with Jesus. If you feel like God's never pleased with you and that he can never actually be approved with you, then you're never going to feel comfortable in his presence. He'll just keep spinning around in the chair and you'll dance a little bit and maybe he'll turn back around and then you'll make a mistake and he'll turn back around and you'll dance a little bit more and you'll try to do enough good works and then maybe he'll turn back around and, and smile at you and you'll feel like you have to keep reaching up and pulling rocks out of your bag on your own or you have to keep reaching back and trying to take this bag off. You've got to keep doing enough, enough good today to measure out against the things that I've done in, in the past. But what this passage is saying is that we were dead and we were beggars on the side of the road but he's made us royalty. Although we were locked up in chains and sin, he has set us free and he's seated us by his son. We are free, we are accepted, and we're wholly redeemed. And this is nothing that we could ever earn. It's nothing that we could strive enough for. It's nothing that we could ever pay back. It's nothing that we could ever be good enough for. Only God could do this through Jesus. He emptied the bags for us and He took off the bag so that we couldn't keep walking along trying to grab more rocks and throw them back in. Here's what he says. The question, why would he do that? Verse 7 says, this is why. Here's the reason. In the coming ages, so that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. In other words, what he's saying is there, he gave us grace so that he could give us more grace. How amazing is that? Look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, right? This is clear. Paul's making this clear. This is the second time he said this. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's a free gift of God. It comes from him. It's not as a result of works. It's not something that we earn so that no one can boast. How ridiculous would it be and how futile would it be to keep working for something that God has already given us? Verse 10 For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, It's about four years ago, I was standing in our kitchen in this uh, little house that we were renting in uh, uh, um, Frisco. And I gave my life to Jesus when I was 18, right? Laid, Laid it all down, 100%. My life was his. Do whatever you want with my life. But I struggled with carrying this weight of approval, carrying this weight of feeling like, man, God, do you really love me? Could you love me with all the mistakes that I can? Not, I know you forgave me of my past, but I keep doing stupid things. I keep doing things that I wish that I didn't do. And so, you know, I've got this backpack on. And so I'm standing there at the counter uh, there in the kitchen, and, and I'm reading my Bible. And I think for the first time ever in my life, I felt God reach down and take this stuff off of me. Because I felt in this moment the, the, the love and the approval of God. I, somebody who's lived for the approval of God, like I, I, I just felt him say, I love you. Not, not because you're reading your Bible, not, not, not because you're doing all the right things, but I actually love you. Not only do I love you, but I actually like you. 
I, I, I want you to be around me. I, I want to be around you. It's the first time that I ever felt that. And I, and I felt the weight of all those sins. And say again, I gave my life to Christ when I was 18. But this was the first time that I actually ever felt the weight of that coming off. And when that happened, I felt free to have real relationship with God. I wasn't living out of fear of messing up anymore. I was actually living out of a place of, I am accepted by you, and now I can live out of this place of acceptance and not out of fear that you're going to somehow kick me out if I don't do the right thing. I was living from a place of, of acceptance. The fear was gone. All of us have rocks that we're carrying around. All of us have guilt and shame to some extent and things that we try to lay down and we keep picking back up. And I just want to ask you just to take a minute just to think. What are the things? And what are you packing around? What is the thing that just feels so heavy for you? And, and you're wondering, God, when are you ever going to take that away from me? I want you to know that he already has. If you're in Christ, he's taken that from you. There's no more guilt. There's no more shame. I mean, there might still be some temporal consequences that we have to work for, to work through, because that's just how sin does. It leaves a train wreck of things that, you know, temporally we've got to work through. But in the eyes of the Lord, he's done a great work in you that you can never do. You are fully approved, fully accepted, fully loved by him. What does Jesus think of you? It's the greatest thought that you could ever have. And if you're thinking that he's somehow displeased with you and you've already trusted Christ, and I think we're believing wrongly here. What I want you to do is I want you to uh, close your eyes if you're comfortable uh, doing that uh, with us. And, and I want you to think about this. If you're in Christ... No matter what you feel, the reality is that you're loved deeper than you could ever imagine, deeper than you could fully understand. You're forgiven more than you could ever pay back. You're seen dressed in his righteousness. You're seen in the righteousness of Christ. You're seated next to him, and you're no longer dead, but you've been made alive. And the beauty of this is that you don't have to strive to get it. You don't have to strive to keep it. If you're in Christ, he's already given you that. This is past tense. He's already done that work in you. And now you get to enjoy that relationship with him. And we, say, we simply say thank you. And we enjoy that relationship with Jesus. And so our, our team is going to play some music up here. But I want you just to sit there and think, like, God, what is it that you want to take off of my shoulders? What is this bag that I've been carrying around? And I want you, I, guys, I really want you to lay it down. And, and this might seem so strange and so weird to you, but some people are just really kinetic and really tactile. And so if it would help you to physically walk up here to the stage and just, like, lay something down, like, that, that's not beyond the realm of possibility that you can allow the Spirit just to say, you know what, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to lay this down this morning. And so if that would help you just to get up from your seat and do that up here at the front, if you want to use this space up here to pray, we've got elders who are sitting around this room, and you just raise up your hand and say, hey, I want somebody to pray for me because I've been trying to lay this down, but I just can't. Now, if you've been carrying around this bag of sin and you've never trusted your life to Jesus, and, and you've just said, man, this thing is just way too heavy, and I, I'm ready I'm, I'm ready to accept his forgiveness. I'm ready to walk with Jesus, and I'm ready to lay all of this stuff down. We'd love to pray with you on that, too. And so uh, the team is, is going um, to play, and it's going to let you do business with the Lord this morning, however you want to do that. And so, Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Um, thank you that you do an amazing work in us that really is undeniably your grace. And it doesn't make sense to us other than your just amazing love for us. That you would do work that would forever set us free. That you would do work that beckons us to have relationship with you. That you could look at our past and see that we've got a changed future because of Jesus. And only you could do that. And so for my brothers and sisters in the room, Father, who've been carrying around things, I pray that you would help them to lay those things down this morning. And I actually leave them there. Don't, don't pick them back up and carry them off. Don't let other people put stuff in their bags. And I pray if there are, are men and women or, or, or um, children in this room who've never trusted the love and the grace and the mercy of your son Jesus, I pray that this morning would be that day that they would just put their hand up and say, I want Jesus. I want life, true life. Not good works that pretend to be life, but I want the life that only Jesus can offer. I pray that today would be a day where they stake that down into the ground and they start a new relationship with you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you guys.